At DePaul University, ignite your curiosity, find your voice, and discover your gold within at one of the top national liberal arts universities. DePaul offers gold standard academics, small classes, and real-world opportunities that prepare you to lead in any field you choose. More than 98% of our graduates are employed or in grad school within six months of graduation. Our beautiful campus is in Greencastle, Indiana, near Indianapolis. Visit depaw.edu today. That's D-E-P-A-U-W dot E-D-U. Hello, Island friends. Let me tell you about Tim Eccles. Mr. Tim loves Georgia and helped keep our rates low. He knows everything about energy and has led by example. I hope you listen to his radio show called Energy Matters. Join me in supporting Tim. This episode of Energy Matters is sponsored by Arnold Golden and Gregory. Welcome to Energy Matters, a show about how you can save money on your utility bills, use technology wisely, and live a more sustainable lifestyle. Here's your host, veteran energy regulator and clean energy expert, Commissioner Tim Eccles. Thank you, Scott Slade. It's always great to be saving money on that power bill, using technology wisely, and living a more sustainable life. Hey, it's Tim Eccles, Vice Chair of the Georgia Public Service Commission. I'm on the road, and you guys know uh, I'm all over the place, Commissioner everywhere, as we try to help our listeners see what's going on out here in the world of energy. And today I'm in Idaho, actually um, touring the Idaho National Lab and, and visiting with my fellow commissioners. And one of these commissioners is from Maryland, uh, my good friend, Tony O'Donnell. How's it going, sir? Good, uh, Commissioner Eccles. Uh, we're having a great time out here. Great learning opportunity, visiting our friends at the National Lab and seeing the great research they're doing on behalf of the citizens of this nation. You know, seeing that so that first sodium reactor, uh, that breeder reactor that was created in 1951, and kind of going through all that history, I mean, you were in the Navy and involved in nuclear. I wasn't, but uh, I mean, to me, that was all so new and r- really cool. I mean, we've been the U.S. has been involved with nuclear for for a long time. Yeah, the the history is deep, and and this is. I was saying yesterday to some of our fellow commissioners, this National Laboratory is like the intersection of nuclear history and nuclear innovation. And it's been here since 1949. It was the the, the uh, result of uh, the, the work done at... Uh, in Chicago, the Manhattan Project, and and uh, they brought it here to a remote location in Idaho uh, to see what what could be harnessed um, from nuclear energy in a peaceful fashion. They started in 1949, and by 1951 had progressed to the point where they were lighting light bulbs with nuclear fission, which is remarkable. In a two-year period, they, they went from, uh, let's see what we can do to actually producing electricity from nuclear power and the history over the years has just been tremendous and um, it it provided me with an opportunity to serve our nation uh, uh, in the nuclear navy as a reactor operator reactor technician and i think we're progressing now tim and i I hope you agree and your your listeners would agree a source of in the future a source of carbon emission-free, baseload, 24-7 power generation. Yeah, I, I want to get to that, but let me jump back to Chicago um, and the Manhattan Project, because yesterday I also learned that 
uh, about the pile one and the pile two. And I mean, we are out here in the remote nowhere land in Idaho right now, but it's hard to believe that under a football stadium in Chicago that they were actually testing nuclear energy. Yeah, and the, the tour guide yesterday at the, the what they call the treat for, uh, facility, but it's a pulse reactor uh, facility, said that they know they definitely had uh, some of the graphite-moderated uh, 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 elements uh, from the Pile 2 from the Manhattan Project, which contained uh, elements, graphite elements from Pile 1. So that, to, to think that that same material is probably in that test reactor facility today um, is, is uh, just tremendously important uh, in terms of historical significance. You know, you were in the Navy, and I often tell people that, man, I wish we would have the Navy do more things today. Uh, like, you know, in Georgia, we're we're doing Plant Vogel, and it's and it's. I mean, we've been the tip of the spear. It's been it's been tough for us, and I, I wish there was some federal backstop, you know, financially. And I wish the Navy could perfect all this and, and then let states do it. But you were actually in the Navy and on a ship, right? I was. I served on board uh, USS South Carolina, which was a nuclear-powered guided missile cruiser. It had uh, twin reactor plants on it, uh, uh, D2G uh, reactor plants. And uh, the Navy um, really perfected the use of nuclear power, but but they had all the resources of the federal government, you know, at their at their beck and call. And Admiral Rickover, of course, was a pioneer in this country, and and was a master at marshalling those resources to to accomplish what he needed to accomplish in defense of this nation. But the submarine fleet, the aircraft carrier fleet, I was on a guided missile cruiser. We no longer have those as as nuclear assets, uh, but um, really. Uh, that experience guided the development of the commercial nuclear industry in this country. Tony, we heard him say yesterday that it cost about $400 a gallon to get diesel fuel to Ford operations, uh, you know, at, at a military operation. So when you have a submarine that doesn't have to surface or you have a, a cruiser that doesn't have to stop in a port and get fuel or an aircraft carrier that can stay out there almost indefinitely, how, how much of a competitive advantage and how much safer is something like that for the military? Oh, it's tremendously safer. I think the Army thinks that in some of their developments, if they didn't have to, to transport the fuels to forward operating bases that they have to transport, but could could uh, rely more on sources of, of transportable nuclear power, which they're developing right now, they could save lives and, and lots of money. Uh, the Navy, I, I remember serving on my ship we did independent ops for six weeks in the north atlantic uh doing just testing some independent operations capabilities no refueling no support ships no nothing just one ship out there by itself six weeks but if you look like uh take for instance the iranian hostage crisis in uh, 79 those uh nuclear powered ships were able to stay on station almost indefinitely and and that capability to project our power and do independent ops around the world is tremendously important all provided uh, by nuclear power, and it saves a lot of money uh, in the end in terms of support. We heard yesterday when we were at that second uh, sodium reactor site that it ran 60, 1964 to 94, uh, we heard about the Pele project, and that's out in the media, and it's been talked about, but it is that project where that the military could put 
a portable nuclear reactor, I think that said it's about five megawatts, into a shipping container. Um, two containers actually would be required. But, I mean, getting that to a forward operating base, it seems like it would just give our troops so much flexibility. Absolutely. And what they're talking about the concept of taking these two sea, sea land containers, uh, being able to deliver them anywhere in the world via an aircraft uh, uh, setting them up within 24 hours, operating them for the required period of time that they needed that power, and then being able to dismantle them, pack them up, and ship them somewhere else within 72 hours after they're done being used. That's that's very significant. That's a, that's a game changer for the United States Army and the United States military. And the Idaho National Lab is front and center in, in doing the testing. I mean, you and I are co-chairs together in a, in a special DOE partnership. And we're out here together with, a, you know, frankly, a, a very large group of, of fellow commissioners and NEI staff and DOE staff. We even have a, a FERC commissioner out with us. How important do you feel like this partnership that we created is in educating our colleagues about innovation and technology in this industry? So I think it's tremendously important to answer the immediate question up front uh, and not bury the lead. It's tremendously important that we have this education. But what I found, Tim, when I got to my commission six years ago was the level of conversation, even though 80% of Maryland's emissions-free generation comes from nuclear and 60-some percent of its overall generation comes from one nuclear power plant, Calvert Cliffs Nuclear Power Plant, that the commission was not so conversant in nuclear. They'd been focused on wind and solar and renewables, the, 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 the source du jour, if you will. And, and they weren't talking about nuclear. The citizens, the ratepayers in this country have $50 billion tied up in a nuclear waste fund that they paid for and they received nothing for in return from the federal government. So uh, the reality is re-educating and re invigorating the knowledge level of what I consider a very important potential source of, of clean energy or non-emissions, emissions-free energy uh, is important. And if, if we're going to truly get to deep decarbonization in this country, I've come to the conclusion that yes, we need wind, yes, we need solar, but we are also going to need the next generation of nuclear technologies. And I'm not talking about the the Calvert Cliffs technology or the Vogel, Vogel technology, which is rooted in the 60s. I'm talking about technologies that are rooted in the 2020s that are here and being developed today that are smaller, more versatile, uh, more rampable, uh, and more, more uh, nimble and cost a lot less um, with regard to capital investment. So for a lot of reasons, uh, we have to be conversant as commissioners in this realm. Yeah, just the last minute, if you're just joining us, I've got Tony O'Donnell. He's a commissioner like myself. Uh, he's in Maryland. Uh, he had been in the Maryland uh, General Assembly uh, prior to that and in the Navy prior to that after working at, a, at this nuclear plant he mentioned. Just, uh, just in the last minute uh, here, Tony, as we, as we wrap up, as we think about these small modular reactors, you mentioned the idea of ramping up, working with the renewables and we and we talked at the at the beginning about the carbon free aspect of it i am hearing google and microsoft and other companies kind of shift their rhetoric from clean to carbon free from renewable to carbon free do you feel like that corporate america is is getting it that they that they understand now that nuclear has to be a part of the solution to provide 
reliable 24-7 energy? I do, and there's, there's no uh, two better uh, examples of that than Bill Gates from, from Microsoft fame and Warren Buffett, uh, who both know a bit about a lot of money, um, investing heavily in this uh, clean, emissions-free uh, generation source, and that includes nuclear. So uh, thank you, Tim. Ple- pleasure being on here with you, and uh, good luck. Godspeed. Thanks. Hey, stick around. We've got another guest from our Idaho trip out here as we talk about the importance of nuclear energy here moving forward in America. I'm Tim Eccles. You're listening to Energy Matters. Hey, Tim Eccles here, host of Energy Matters. Solar's growing like crazy in Georgia, and I certainly say buyer beware. It's great to have companies like Creative Solar USA on the job. Russ, why do folks need to reach out to you? Tim, we're going on to our 14th year, and we have the best staff and most experienced installers in the state to get the job done right. You can find out more at creativesolarusa.com or call 770-485-7438. That's creativesolarusa.com. BMVW is the place in Metro Atlanta to get your used hybrid, plug-in hybrid, or fully electric car. They're located on the south side near the airport, but it is well worth the drive. Go online to look at their inventory at ev-hybrid.com and set up a time to see the vehicle or even drive it for up to three days. I don't know of anywhere else in Metro Atlanta that you can do that. That's ev-hybrid.com, the best deal in town. ev-hybrid.com, ev-hybrid.com. This episode of Energy Matters is sponsored by Arnold, Golden, and Gregory, an AMLAW 200 law firm with 180 attorneys in Atlanta and Washington, D.C. They take a business sensibility approach when advising clients. They provide industry knowledge, attention to detail, transparency, and value to help businesses and individuals achieve their definition of success. AGG subscribes to the belief not if, but how. We thank John Gornall and all the attorneys and staff at AGG for sponsoring our show. Hey, Tim Eccles back on Energy Matters with one of my other colleagues from the wonderful state of Montana, Commissioner Brad Johnson. How's it going? Tim, it's going great. It's great to be with you this morning. You and I were talking yesterday about horses and cows, and you uh, you have this ag background. You know, my daughter has a horse, and we're interested in all that. But tell me a little bit about uh, how you learned so much about all that. Well, uh, I really am a, an ag guy in real life, if you will. I've got a master's degree in animal science and spent most of my adult life in the uh, cattle and horse industries. So uh, it's just been part of life for long as I can remember. Uh, clearly explains why I'm a utility regulator. Probably not. But the uh, uh, fact of the matter is I tell folks that having acquired a thorough understanding of animal behavior has been very helpful in the political arena. So true. It's like an animal house uh, sometimes over there and these general assemblies. Hey, let me ask you, uh, you know, about the difference between Georgia and Montana. I mean, uh, let's start with population. Your, your state is big, but it doesn't have that many people. No, Montana geographically is the fourth largest state. Uh, you have uh, Alaska, Texas, and California are larger than Montana. But we've got just a million people, total population, spread over 145,000 square miles. So the population density in Montana is, is very low. Does it, you know, as you think about 
customers per mile. Uh, d- does it take more for a utility to serve a state like yours than, say, a state that's this uh, this more dense, like say a New Jersey or a Rhode Island? Well, it it does. We we see the utilities having to cover more territory with their infrastructure and are, are serving fewer people with that infrastructure. So the, the, the cost per unit of infrastructure per, per person is much higher in a state like Montana than it would be in a state like New Jersey or even Georgia. You know, we're out here looking at Idaho National Lab and we had a chance to visit a, an older sodium reactor site yesterday and then, then the second iteration of that. And then we heard about this Pele technology, the Marvel technology. Do you feel like that states across the U.S. maybe that and that haven't participated in, in carbon-free nuclear energy will be able to do this more readily with this newer, smaller technology? Well, I certainly hope that's going to be the case. I think that nuclear has got to play a major role in terms of meeting our capacity needs going forward. Uh, Montana is facing, uh, well, not just Montana, frankly, the whole Western region is facing a a real potential capacity crisis in the near term, uh, driven primarily by accelerated closure of uh, coal plants. And we're doing nothing to replace uh, that dispatchable baseload generation. And it's going to come back to bite us, Tim. Let's talk about coal just for a second because we have trains and trains and trains coming from the Powder River Basin into Georgia uh, every week and have had that, you know, for some time and frankly will probably continue to have that. But the coal industry, both from the mining perspective and from power generation, they have taken a tremendous hit over the last five years. Well, there's no question about it. And again, a lot of those decisions that have, have impacted coal have been emotionally driven, not necessarily driven by science and, and reality. Uh, we simply are not in a position to uh, abandon coal-fired generation in America today, and yet that's that's the direction we're headed. And, and I, uh, as I've said, have grave concerns about what that's going to do to us in terms of our quality of life in the near term. I think that the same folks that are pushing so hard to close these uh, coal-fired uh, generating assets uh, are going to scream like crazy when they're the subject of a rolling blackout because we can't meet peak demand. If you're just joining us, I'm talking to Commissioner Brad Johnson, former Secretary of State also for the state of Montana, now serving as a public service commission uh, just like just like I am. We're on a bus. We're heading to some other Idaho uh, National Lab facilities. Uh, we're out here looking at some of their technology. We just mentioned about Powder River Basin coal in particular that Georgia gets. It's a cleaner, lower sulfur coal. Why, why does that matter? Well, uh, high BTU, low sulfur coal is, is kind of the gold standard in the coal industry. That's what the Powder River uh, produces. And it matters because not only can you burn less coal to realize the same amount of, of energy, the, uh, uh, the environmental impact of that low sulfur coal is much less than uh, the coal that, frankly, uh, is, is being mined and shipped in places like Malaysia, where uh, it's, it's a, just a very dirty coal. And so when when, when we have policies that keep us from shipping um, uh, Powder River coal to uh, China or India uh, and that uh, they end up burning that dirtier coal, it, it's a, a net negative impact on the environment. But again, uh, that seems to be overlooked by those who are most zealous in their efforts to uh, shut down the coal industry in America. 
you know, I've had six EVs, uh, and I'm a big EV proponent. And one of the things that I've been talking about recently is the increased load that electric vehicles, buses, transit buses, school buses, Amazon package vans, that they're going to put on the grid. And I've been saying that maybe we should be slow walking the closure of these dispatchable plants. That would be dispatchable meaning coal, natural gas, a a hydroelectric dam, a biomass plant, anything that you can turn on and off with a flip of a switch. Do you feel like, I mean, I know your, your state's not necessarily a big EV state, but looking at this bigger picture, do you feel like that we're making a mistake by closing all these dispatchable plants? I don't think there's any question about it. We, we simply are not prepared to move as far and as fast uh, in the direction of replacing traditional energy sources with renewables as is being pushed in, uh, from so many quarters. Uh, and I, I don't know anyone who argues with the fact that, that we ultimately need to be in a situation where there's a much smaller carbon footprint uh, in the energy sector. And I think we'll get there. Uh, the question in my mind is, are we going to have a controlled and gentle glide path from where we're at to where we want to be, or are we going to wet, let these more emotionally driven forces uh, bring us to a cliff and a crisis? Uh, I'm afraid, frankly, Tim, that at this point, the cliff and the crisis people are winning this debate, and we're going to, we're going to pay a very, very uh, unpleasant price for that. I had one of the folks here who is an expert in energy tell me yesterday that he was amazed that the Southern Company, which runs our utility in Alabama Power, Mississippi Power, has not shed load since 1976. And what an amazing thing that is and, and how that matters to businesses, especially manufacturing. Well, it, it does. This this idea that, that a regulator's responsibility is to keep utility services affordable, reliable, and sustainable, all three, uh, gets lost in this, this debate. We seem to have said, well, we'll worry about the reliability thing later. So long as we get rid of the carbon uh, footprint, then that's all we care about. Uh, that's a, a really flawed approach to, for us to be taking from a policy standpoint. We Look, you talk about moving to, to EVs. Uh, first, you've got uh, an internal combustion uh, uh, engine fleet in America that, that is not just going to go away. So you're either going to have to be involved in some real takings in terms of simply eliminating those vehicles and, and not not allowing the owners of those vehicles to realize uh, uh, or recapture the worth of, of those vehicles. Then they got to go out and buy a $60,000, $80,000 electric vehicle. We don't have the infrastructure deployed to charge those vehicles. We don't have the uh, generating assets to meet the, indi- the additional load that's going to be uh, created by uh, that kind of penetration. If we start looking at 50-60% penetration of EVs, we, we simply can't keep them on the road. And then then you move into a state like Montana where we have to a 400-mile range on a vehicle. Montana's nothing. Uh, we just have to go so far, so often. Uh, and there just are a myriad of problems that have not been addressed by uh, the proponents of, of, of EV. And I'm not an EV. I'm just saying we need to make sure we're we're ready to accommodate the change when it comes. In the last couple minutes here, you were Secretary of State before, and I was surprised to hear that you were a very big proponent of paper ballots 
and that you helped uh, ensure that transition to a Scantron system, and you guys are still running that flawlessly in Montana today. Well, that's right. One of the first things I did as secretary in the 2005 legislative session is join forces with a, a legislator in the House, and we uh, had uh, written, introduced, passed, and signed a bill that requires votes to be cast on and tabulated from paper ballots in Montana. That's the gold standard, and it's something that has served us extremely well. We we simply haven't had the kind of controversies over the the validity of votes that you've seen in in states that uh, have embraced the electronic voting technology. So so we uh, today uh, folks look back at 2005, and and uh, uh, Representative Weissman and I look pretty smart. So as you compare your role as Secretary of State and your role as Commissioner, which is the geekiest of the two jobs, being Secretary of State or being a Commissioner? Oh, I think uh, if, if we've got a common definition of geeky, I think it's clearly the commission. I mean, we get in way, way deeper in the weeds on, on technical stuff at the commission than we did at the, uh, at the secretary's office. But uh, the, the two positions are so different, it's hard really to make many comparisons because we're just doing different, different things. And, and, uh, uh, but the, the secretary of state's gig was absolutely the, the best job I've ever had, I can tell you that, Tim. Well, I love uh, this job. I think this is the best job I've ever had. So we, we, uh, we're, we're both uh, living the dream. Well, look, um, thanks a lot for all you're doing out there for your citizens and your ratepayers, and keep up the great work. Tim, thanks. Always good to be with you. Hey, Tim Eccles in Idaho. Stick around. We'll be back with another guest in just a minute. You're listening to Energy Matters. The electric car revolution is coming, and the choices are growing. Gem cars are everywhere. You've seen these low-speed electric vehicles on college campuses, downtown Atlanta streets, and resort islands like St. Simons and Jekyll. Gem cars are street legal, equipped with seatbelts, headlights, and a tag, and can operate on roads with speed limits of 35 miles per hour or less. If you want to know more about these electric cars and trucks, six-passenger shuttles, mobile repair service, or full vehicle wraps, go to gemcarservice.com. That's G-E-M, carservice.com. Logan Booker here, producer of Energy Matters, and I want to tell you about the Advanced Power Alliance. For more than 20 years now, the Advanced Power Alliance has been leading the energy transition in America's traditional energy states. They advocate for wind energy, solar power, and energy storage, all while partnering with traditional resources to ensure that America has abundant, affordable, cleaner energy to power our homes, our lives, as well as our economy. With the growth of solar and advanced storage and power generation technologies, every state now has the opportunity to be a leading energy state. Advanced Power Alliance is proud to partner with the Georgia Large Scale Solar Association and work with the Public Service Commission, Georgia Power, and their customers as Georgia continues to be one of America's leading renewable energy states. You can learn more about the Advanced Power Alliance at poweralliance.org. That's poweralliance.org. You've heard about Gem Cars on Energy Matters. Made by Polaris in Anaheim, California. These street-legal, small electric vehicles go where golf carts are not allowed. Equipped with seatbelts, headlights, optional doors, and a tag, Gem Cars and Trucks are perfect for shuttles, corporate, or college campus use. In fact, Georgia Tech has over 100 of them. The new generation Gems have many options when selecting the battery type, onboard chargers, and enclosures to suit the climate. Go to GemCarService.com to find out more. That's G-E-M, CarService.com. 
Marlin Gas Services, a premier mobile pipeline solutions company for over 23 years, is hiring drivers. Join a team of experienced and OQ-endorsed hazmat drivers in their brand new truck fleet. Marlin Gas Services schedules their haul so you are on the road less and at home more. This top workplaces awarded company prioritizes your health and safety and offers a comprehensive benefits package, overnight incentive pay, and a $5,000 signing bonus. Join us. Apply today at MarlinGasDrivers.com. Tim Eccles back. One more segment here at the Idaho National Lab. Great to be in Idaho, and I'm with John Kotek. He is with NEI. You may not have heard of it, but it is certainly a, a prominent organization within the commissioner world. John, welcome to Energy Matters. Thanks for having me. John, you used to work out here. We were talking yesterday, uh, your experience in Idaho. Was it a culture shock coming out here, (laughs) out west? Uh, No, it was actually great. So I did grow up on the east coast, but uh, married a western girl, and she convinced me of the charms of the west, and she was right. Did you ever wear a cowboy hat or cowboy boots? (laughs) No, I never tried to pull that off. How about riding a horse? Did you do that? Uh, Poorly, yes. (laughs) So... Our family's into horses, so my daughter would love this out here because she's got her own horse. And I was struck yesterday as we went out to the lab just how far everything is from each other. Yeah, it is. Well, the the reason the lab was cited here was because back in the 1940s, the federal government was looking for a remote location at which to do nuclear energy technology development. So this lab was formed as what was then called the National Reactor Testing Station, uh, in part because they could provide you know isolation from large population centers. So after World War II uh, and, you know, the, the, the bombs that we dropped and then the Cold War that ensued after that, I mean, we were atomic everything then. Weren't, weren't we trying to just stand every bit of technology up that we could so that we could have a superior military, superior science program? I mean, it, it was quite the contest. Oh, it sure was. And so you, you, you're quite right. There were efforts to try to uh, use atomic power for aircraft, for vehicle propulsion, uh, all manner of technologies to you know, try to uh, make full use of the benefits of this emerging, at the time, nuclear energy technology. Yesterday, they told us about that four-mile runway that had been graded for what was then an idea to do an atomic airplane. It never materialized, but the mock-up sure looked cool. Yeah, I sure did. No, that one didn't fly. Uh, but yeah, the idea at the time was you could keep an airplane uh, in flight for five days or longer, uh, which could be very handy you know, in, in the event you needed to, for example, uh, you know, deal with the aftermath of a nuclear conflict and needed a safe place for the president or for the leadership of the country, etc. So there was a lot of interest in you know looking at uh, this advanced nuclear technology uh, for a wide range of applications. I mean, clearly the submarines we have are running on it and some of the battleships and the aircraft carriers so while it might not have worked in the air force it really has been great in the navy oh it sure has and in in fact the uh, early days of testing out here at the laboratory proved the principle of using nuclear power for both subsurface and surface propulsion for our nuclear navy over the years the advances that have been made again here at idaho in both fuels and materials testing have allowed nuclear plants in submarines for example to go from having to refuel every couple of years to now being life of ship 
so 30 years or more. So just a tremendous advance in the technology, uh, in large part due to the capabilities and the people here at the Idaho National Lab. In one of the buildings where you used to work at that uh, second sodium reactor site, we heard about the Pele system and how the military was going to employ that and how it cost $400 to get a gallon of diesel from, you know, from someplace to the front operating base. And it seems like the military is going to love that. Yeah, and, and that was really the reason that uh, the military went down this road a few years ago and started this Pele program, both the expense of moving fuel, but and the risk that comes from a supply chain that, that uh, is heavily dependent on the ability to, to move uh, fuel to the front. So what they're looking at is developing a system that can be deployed in these remote locations, can be set up uh, and operated very quickly, that can provide uh, multiple years of operation operating life uh, before the before the reactor has to be refueled. So a lot of advantages to this technology, and we're really excited to see it demonstrated here in Idaho. You work at NEI, and certainly as a commissioner, having been on our commission for 11 years, I've really, um, really grown to appreciate your experts, the fact that you call meetings together with the industry, almost like a brain trust, um, and that you're introducing us to new technology, you're monitoring this. I mean, anything that happens in this nuclear world, you guys are on top of it. Yeah, we do play a role of trying to form industry positions, whether it's on Uh, federal programs, on regulation, on technology, uh, on, you know, communications and public affairs as it pertains to the nuclear energy sector. So we do, you know, view ourselves as really soup to nuts uh, in support of nuclear energy technology here in the U.S. You know, we're building plant Vogel units three and four, and um and I often tell people the, the, the plant is fitly named because Alvin Vogel was the Steve McQueen of the Great Escape movie. He was the real-life version of it who escaped death many times. And this plant has escaped death many times. How important is this Vogel plant to American superiority in nuclear, American you know, uh, being able to continue with this is, is from your perspective in Washington, is it important that Georgia finish this? Oh, absolutely. And it's tremendously important. And the value that that plan is going to deliver will be seen on multiple fronts. You mentioned leadership and the U.S. is well recognized as the global leader in advanced nuclear technology development. This is the, the, the leading edge, the first example of that. Over the course of this decade, decade, we'll see several more uh, advanced reactor designs come to market, one here in Idaho, maybe several here in Idaho, uh, and in other states as well. So it matters for that reason. It matters because uh, we're in a competition with Russia, China, and some other countries to control the next wave of nuclear technology development. The U.S. led the first wave outside of the former Soviet Union. And as a result, we were able to spread our uh, behaviors and practices as it pertains to nuclear safety, nuclear nonproliferation, physical and cybersecurity. That matters. That leadership matters. And when you build a nuclear plant in another nation, you're talking about a 100-year relationship. You know, between the 10 years or so it'll take you to build it, the 60, 80 years you'll run it, and then a decommissioning phase. We want the U.S. to be the one that's leading the rest of the world in bringing this next generation of nuclear technology to market, and Vogel is step one in making that happen. So are you saying there are geopolitical consequences 
to this technology. And if we cede, uh, I guess, the technology to Russia and China and let them be the one to sell it and get other countries maybe less developed using it, it kind of puts that country in some kind of obligatory relationship with the provider of of their most important technology, doesn't it? Oh, that's exactly right. And you know what we've seen, for example, with the Russian invasion of Ukraine is now Ukraine, which uh, hosts about 15 Russian designed and built nuclear power plants. Uh, they're trying to break those bonds. And they're, they're looking to the U.S. as the, the supplier of fuel and engineering services, outage services, uh, what have you. Uh, those are difficult bonds to break. Now, the, it can be done. It it takes some effort, and we're working, and our, our uh, companies are working with the Ukrainians and with our government to help make that happen. Uh, but the Russians have had that stranglehold on the Ukrainian market, along with other Central and Eastern European markets, for some time. Those nations are all now looking at Russia and saying, they're not a reliable energy partner. They're a country that will use energy as a weapon. They want to get away from that Russian supply, and we need to be ready to jump in and and seize that role so we can uh, take full advantage of the, uh, the, the strength of relationship that comes with building new nuclear in another country. If you're just tuning in, I've got John Kotek with me. He's a senior vice president for policy development and public affairs at the Nuclear Energy Institute in Washington. We are in Idaho. We're actually sitting in the Idaho National Lab. Let me ask you, I mean, you worked here, so you, you're used to all of this, but has there been some takeaways from you on this trip, even with as much as you know? Yeah, well, the thing that's really exciting is you know, this laboratory, which I described earlier as having started as the National Reactor Testing Station, it's seen more than 50 nuclear reactors built on this site over the years. And, but it's been many years since we've seen one built. Now we're talking about at least four new reactor projects for this laboratory just this decade. Now, some of them are you know, on, the, on the smaller side, but uh, the largest is planned to de- demonstrate the uh, new scale small modular reactor technology working with the Utah Associated Mus- Municipal Power Systems, which are looking to uh, build new nuclear here because they're planning on shutting down some coal. They recognize the environmental imperative, the desire to move off of uh, very you know, highly carbon intensive fuels. And so there's an effort here to uh, bring that technology to bear at the place where nuclear technology started in the U.S. here in Idaho. So really exciting times. Just a minute left. Uh, we had a chance to go into a simulator of the new scale system and, you know, 12 50 megawatt reactors. And I think they've upped them to 77 megawatts now. But daisy chained together, you know, I kind of compared this to the two AP1000s we have, which is about 2,200 megawatts. And these small modular reactors, you know, seem really flexible, and we only have about 30, 30 seconds. So what, what do you think about the flexibility? Well, they're, they're fantastic. What they try to do is take advantage of the simplicity that comes from being a smaller design uh, and from relying on inherent safety characters characteristics. So, for example, relying on things like natural convection of heat or gravity to ensure the safety of the reactor, even in an accident condition. And so, as a result, we think these simpler systems can be more affordable uh, and to build and can be built on a more predictable schedule. And so, it's a really exciting technology for the future of nuclear. Well, thanks for being on Energy Matters. Thanks very much. Hey, it's Tim Eccles. Stick around. One more segment about our Energy Matters Sustainability Awards. We're going to give another award. We're doing this all across the state, 18 awards. So stick around. I think you're going to be surprised. You're listening to Energy Matters. 
Hey, this is Tim Eccles. You want to make your car, boat, jet ski look really cool? Use my friends at Jim Rap. That's G-E-M Rap. Just go to Facebook and put in Jim Raps and you'll see what I'm talking about. Gas South believes in the difference we can all make. Like the difference in putting people first and showing that you care. For us, our difference is saving people money with our best rates and no deposit. And the difference we make in our community by taking care of our friends and neighbors and giving back 5% of our profits to help children in need. Learn more about what makes us different at GasSouth.com. Gas South. The difference is good. Tim Eccles, host of Energy Matters, here with Jeff Pratt of Green Power EMC. Jeff, more and more EMCs are offering solar to their members, and you're seeing it grow like crazy across rural Georgia. Tim, you're right. Co-ops in Georgia are doing a great job of deploying solar across the state. In fact, they're leaders in the country with respect to engaging customers and deploying large-scale solar to benefit all their members. Hey, contact your EMC and ask them about their solar energy policy, or just Google Green Power EMC. This segment of Energy Matters is sponsored by Hall Booth Smith. This law firm works with over 88 Fortune 500 companies, and they have offices from Brunswick to Athens, Tifton to Columbus, and of course, Atlanta. We'd like to thank Hall Booth Smith for the great work they do with school boards, hospitals, cities, and counties all over our state. See more at hallboothsmith.com. Hey, Tim Eccles back on Energy Matters with another award winner today. We're giving our best sustainability award by a transportation company. And who better to receive this than our very own Marta here in Atlanta? And to receive our award today, Richard Thomas, the Director of Sustainability, I want to welcome you to Energy Matters. Thank you, sir. Uh, uh, it's a pleasure being here, Commissioner Eckers, and uh, I hope that uh, all the things that Marta has done uh, with it comes when it comes to sustainability uh, is really um, on the forefront of our partnerships with our you know public-private partnerships and what we do for the community that we serve. Yeah, I, you know, Marta's been around. I'm a, a Georgia native, so I grew up in Clayton County, and um, Clayton County now has a little piece of Marta. I, I, you know, I don't know if I'll ever have it in Jackson County where I'm at, but I'm a big rapid transit fan everywhere I go. I, ra- I ride transit. I like to try out the bus fleet. Uh, so there's just so many positives. Uh, with this award you, you all are receiving today, there's been so many things through the years that marta has done some things uh, folks may know about you may have seen something on the electric buses we're going to talk about the electric buses ev chargers and parking lots but there's so much more i want to start with just the tremendous reduction in greenhouse gases that marta has helped the city with through the implementation of, of clean cng in your bus fleet that has been just an amazing amazing thing you really have uh you have hundreds of buses that are running on this every day and anybody that ever goes into a home depot or a lowe's knows that forklifts running inside are running on either methane or they're running on propane and you don't die when you go in there because it is so much cleaner than all the carbon monoxide emitted in other sources so tell us a little bit about the bus fleet Yes. Um, Currently, our bus fleet runs off a clean diesel, of course, CNG, and we just introduced six electric buses to our fleet on Earth Day of this year. We have plans in the future 
to procure uh, five uh, articulating buses for the Summer Hill Bus Rapid Transit program that's up and coming. And also we have a pilot program as well that we will introduce one articulating electric bus uh, here in the near future. These EV buses, and I rode on your EV bus on Earth Day. I was there. I spoke at the event um, and did an interview with your with your interim CEO. These buses are amazing, and they really cool route from Edgewood. I think over over to um, maybe North Avenue was it or Tenth, uh, but it's, it's certain routes. And these electric buses, there's a lot of cities around Georgia, a few cities around Georgia, but certainly many places around the country that are experimenting with EV buses because there's still a lot to learn, right? How do they perform under this duty cycle? What's the best use for them? How do customers like them? You know, how many route, how, how long can we run this before we need to charge it? How are we going to charge it? But Marta's been at the forefront of really learning a lot about this. What are some of the lessons you guys are learning that you want to apply to future implementation of EV buses? Okay. Oh, absolutely. So one of the lessons that we learned uh, based on our climate you know, and how does our climate and the use of the bus as far as the, how the driver uh, accelerates and, and, and brakes. And, you know, uh, so it's a, just a combination of things that they're looking at, how many routes or how long that route is before it needs charging. Uh, Georgia is hilly, as we all know. And how does that affect the, the, the duration of the battery uh, uh, life expectancy? Let's talk about some of the other sustainability projects that the, that, that Marta's done. One of the first that I saw was that Laredo facility solar uh, and the fact that buses are parking under that. They're not getting as hot, so it doesn't take as long to cool them, uh, not to mention getting the electricity off of that. So that's something I know that's still working great that y'all are very proud of. Oh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. That facility uh, produces about 1.2 uh, megawatts of, of power, of renewable energy, which we're very proud of. It, it was the first for the authority. In 2001, we did a solar potential study. So we're looking at actually expanding our uh, solar capacity in the near future. Tell me about some of the other things maybe that I don't even know about because you guys have been working diligently behind the scenes to implement sustainability. Our CEO just announced that we will have a mobile fresh market unit that will service the Clayton County uh, area, which is great. So all the areas that MARTA have are served or in service of, we will actually be providing uh, some source of food for uh, areas that have food scarcity. When I was six years old, seven years old, I lived in Morrow, Georgia, in Clayton County, okay. 2603 Lake Carbon Road. And I sold watermelons and cantaloupes and tomatoes from my front yard, right, under a little canopy that my mom rigged up. And it was my first go at being a little entrepreneur. Uh, and so I would go to the farmer's market in Forest Park, which is also in Clayton County, and I would buy these uh, fruits and vegetables and then provide them at an even better price than my friends could get at a grocery store, um, you know, in my front yard. So I learned to make change. I opened a savings account uh, and I provided with my neighbors with some very delicious fresh food. 
Wow, that is amazing. I actually remember that farmer's market. I think they're still in business now. And it was an open uh, system where you just walk up and the fruits were kind of sitting out in the open. It wasn't a, a conditioned space, I should say, more or less like the grocery store. So I do remember that. But we're very proud that we're, we, we can offer those services. Uh, we just actually opened up a fresh market at Kensington uh, Station as well. Again, uh, you know, expanding our efforts for sustainability and social programs for the community that we serve. You know, what I love about this is, you know, you go to work, you get off the train, maybe you're running a little bit late, you know, you're being picked up by someone or you're hopping in a car uh, that you've parked at, at the station and you don't know what you're going to do for dinner or maybe you're missing a few things and boom, you got a little market right there. You can buy, buy a few things. And obviously from a health standpoint, the fresher the food, the better the food, uh, you know, the more sustainable our population is, right? I can agree with that. Yes, sir. Uh, just to add to that, uh, one other initiative that we have in place is called the Energy uh, Service Contract, where authority-wide we're replacing all of the aged mechanical systems uh, we're retrofitting uh, to LED lighting. And all of this is our efforts to conserve energy, which uh, means that we're more financially uh, and fiscal responsible uh, as an authority. And it builds our brand that, you know, we are concerned about the environment and we're doing the best that we can with the finances that we receive from uh, local, state and federal dollars uh, and that we are, are doing everything that we can to conserve the environment. Yeah, and those little things add up. Um, you know, we can't forget that the trains themselves run on electricity, right? Let's 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 think about that. The comparison to a diesel locomotive versus an electric MARTA train. That is correct. Uh, electricity is more cleaner. Uh, I, I like to say, actually, public transportation is probably the most cleanest method of transportation that's out there. If you're just joining us, I'm sitting here in a boardroom at MARTA, MARTA headquarters here at 2424 Piedmont Road with Richard Thomas. He's the Director of Sustainability. We're talking about this Energy Matters Award that I'm presenting to their board today, Best Sustainability by a Transportation Company. Just a couple more minutes, Richard. What are some other things that you want to highlight that MARTA has done in the way of sustainability? Yes, uh, even our recycling efforts uh, have uh, recycle and waste diversion. Uh, we have achieved the ISO uh, 14001 rating at nine of our facilities. The public may not really know much about that. Uh, we also uh, recycle all of our metal. Uh, we have e-waste recycling. We even have single stream uh, to uh, increase our diversion rate uh, from uh, garbage going to the landfill. Yeah, we talk a lot about recycling, reuse, uh, diversion on our show, Energy Matters. Uh, you know, as we think about the future with MARTA and sustainability, we heard about some of the additional electric buses. What do you, what, what's on your plate for some sustainability projects that you really want to see happen over the next five years? Over the next five years, definitely in full electrification of our fleet. Uh, currently, one thing I did not mention is that we are in the procurement phase 
of purchasing 40 electric vehicles, hybrid electric vehicles, which 10 will go to our police department. So that will be the first for our police department. And then we can gauge how they perform under that kind of 24-7 rotation if we can purchase more. But definitely uh, electrification of our uh, entire fleet. Well, I really appreciate you being on Energy Matters. How can folks find out about MARTA Sustainability Program on the Internet? Yes, please visit www.itsmarta.com and you'll see an icon that you can click on for sustainability. Well, congratulations again for receiving this sustainability award by a transportation company. Thank you, Commissioner Eccles. Yeah. Hey, it's Tim Eccles from the MARTA headquarters. Hey, get your MARTA card, take it to the ball game or wherever you're going. And I hope you have a fantastic weekend. You're listening to Energy Matters. Energy Matters would like to thank GasSouth for its support of the show. GasSouth has a no-deposit policy and offers some of the lowest per-therm rates in the state. Use the promo code MATTERS for a special deal. GasSouth, the difference is good. Hey, this is Tim Eccles. You want to make your car, boat, jet ski look really cool? Use my friends at Jim Rap. That's G-E-M Rap. Just go to Facebook and put in Jim Raps and you'll see what I'm talking about. Tim Eccles of Energy Matters here for Solar Sun World. No doubt you've seen solar panels popping up all over the state. If you want the precision of German engineering when it comes to solar, Solar Sun World is for you. Gerd and all the folks at Solar Sun World understand the complexities of solar and how to make it work for you. From tax credits to inverters to accelerated depreciation, they'll advise you on the best path forward. And Solar Sun World now offers power purchase agreements. Find them at solarsunworld.com, solarsunworld.com. Everyone has tough times in their life. By checking the project share box at the bottom of your utility bill, you can make life a little easier for your neighbors. Your one, two, or five dollar checkoff is matched by the utility and then used by the Salvation Army to help folks having a tough time paying their energy bills. It's that easy. Join PSC Commissioner Tim Eccles and many others by donating via your power bills this year. See more by clicking projectshareinfo.com. And thank you. When you bundle your renters and auto insurance with Progressive, you could save money, but it doesn't cover any terrible memories living rent-free in your head. Hey, just wanted to remind you of that time your kicker missed the extra point and lost the game. Even though he literally never missed an extra point, he chose this playoff game to miss. Yeah, I just noticed you hadn't thought about that in a bit. Wouldn't want you to miss, you know, thinking about it. Sorry, we can't save you from that memory, but we could save you money bundling your renters and auto insurance with Progressive. Coverage from Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and third-party insurers. Renters insurance and bundle discount not available in all states or situations.